invite you to open your Bibles this morning to the book of Hebrews and the third chapter of the book of Hebrews and the third chapter. I'll be reading aloud and then preaching this morning on verses 16 through 19 of Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. As we continue our study of this important section of Scripture, my message is entitled this morning, The Dangers of Unbelief, Part 2. Dangers of Unbelief, Part 2. I encourage you to read silently as I read aloud this morning. Here in Hebrews chapter 3, beginning in verse 16, the writer states, For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he God provoked for forty years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Let's pray together. Our God and Father, we thank you for your mercy and kindness in bringing us here today to worship you in spirit and in truth. And as we come to the preaching of your word, we would ask now, for the work of your Holy Spirit, that he would be our teacher and guide, that he would instruct us in divine truth today, that he would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive your word. And we would ask that he would do that work in us that only he, as the sovereign spirit of God, can do, that our thinking, our minds would be renewed, that our conduct would be transformed, that we might bring you honor and glory in all that we hear and all that we say, all that we do, to the glory of God. For we ask these things in Jesus' blessed name. Amen. Amen. Brethren, as we considered last Sunday, none of us here this morning are beyond the persuasion or beyond the pull of unbelief. For all of us still have within us a sin nature. And that nature which actively wars against the Spirit is predisposed to lead us down the path of unbelief and not on the path of faith and rest in Jesus Christ. In fact, there is a powerful line in the old hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, which reads as follows. You'll recognize this line, no doubt, as soon as I read it, and you'll understand its importance. The line says this, Oh, for grace, how great a debtor, daily I am constrained to be. Let thy mercy like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Therefore, it is very important that we who are highly susceptible to, we who are constantly vulnerable to the pervasive core unbelief, know what the dangers of falling back into unbelief are. For you and I, as those who share in a heavenly calling, according to verse 1 of this third chapter, 
cannot dwell here below in unbelief and still enjoy that rest that God has graciously prepared for the refreshment of His people. So here in this third chapter of the book of Hebrews, the writer of this epistle educates us on the dangers of unbelief. The dangers of unbelief. And he does so by recalling to our minds the experiences of God's own people following their exodus from the land of Egypt and during their wanderings in the wilderness under the leadership of Moses. And no doubt the writer addresses this period in Israel's history in particular because it powerfully illustrates for us what unbelief can do. What unbelief can do in a destructive sense when it takes root in the collective assembly of God's people or within the lives of God's people individually. And in Israel's case, her gradual descent back into unbelief cost the people very dearly. For first, we are told back in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 8 that the people began their descent when their downward spiral began by the hardening of their hearts to the voice of the Spirit. In other words, they first hardened their hearts to the voice of the Spirit. And with that hardening of their hearts came a growing discontentedness with their circumstances. For once they stopped listening to the Spirit, they started dwelling on their difficulties instead. And that's what typically happens in all of our lives when we stop listening to the voice of the Spirit and the Word of God, we begin to focus on other things. We begin to focus on our circumstances and our difficulties. And it's not long before God's people begin to openly complain about God's provision. They begin to openly complain about God's leadership. Just as the people of Israel here in the wilderness began to complain about Moses' leadership, and they began to complain about God's provision. Then you recall secondly that Israel continued in her downward descent into unbelief by putting God to the test. By putting God to the test. And by this the writer means that the people not only stopped listening, but they began to act in a way that showed a disregard for what God had already said. Not just stopping the process of listening, but disregarding what they had already heard from God. For unbelief not only keeps us from listening now, but it will cause us to question what we have already heard. And then lastly, thirdly, we are told back in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 10 that Israel provoked God to wrath. And by this, the writer means that they compelled God through their continual disobedience to openly chastised them. And in doing so, God chastised them by denying them entrance into that physical rest that they so desired. That rest which could have been theirs if they had continued to heed the Spirit. Had they been grateful for God's leadership and provision, and had they exercised faith in God's strength and sufficiency, to lead them through the wilderness to that place that God had appointed for them. And so Israel's experience, notice that 
downward descent. Notice the steps in that downward descent. That experience of Israel is instructive to us because it shows us the destructive nature of unbelief. It illustrates for us the downward spiral that so often occurs when unbelief is permitted to dwell and to persist in the lives of God's people. And we need to see this clearly this morning as we now approach our sermon text for today. For we need to understand how unbelief works. We need to understand how unbelief works. Now you might argue this morning, Pastor, it's more important that we understand how faith works. And certainly it is true to understand what true faith is and what true faith does. But I would suggest to you that it's equally important to understand how unbelief works so that we'll be wise, so that we can avoid it, so that we can take steps to prevent it. We need to understand this morning how easily unbelief can creep into the life of God's people, just as it crept into the life of ancient Israel, and especially as the people made their way through the difficulties and the challenges of the of the wilderness journey. And it's interesting to notice how unbelief crept into their midst shortly after the glorious deliverance of God. It wasn't long after a great victory when they faced this great trial. And I would suggest to you in your own life that it won't be long after you're rejoicing in the blessings of God that Satan will attempt to drag you down to draw you back into unbelief. It's important that we understand these things described here in Hebrews chapter 3. These were written not so that we might seek justification for our own sin. These were written not that we might sit back in our pews today and self-righteously declare, how could God's people do that? How could they have been so careless? But Israel's failures are described here to get our attention. To get our attention. To show us that we have a lot in common with ancient Israel. Oh yes, when you read about them, you're reading about yourself. When I read about them, I read about me as well. We have a lot more in common with the people of old than we think. Simply living in the age of the gospel will not keep us from the downfall that can actually occur if our wandering hearts and not the Spirit of God are taking the lead. How does our text drive these truths home to us today? Well, I want us to notice here, first of all, that the writer asks us a, a series of questions. In fact, there are five questions here in Hebrews chapter 3 verses 16 through 18, which are designed to draw us out into the needed work of self-examination. So these questions are like hooks. They're being extended to actually puncture us and draw us back, as it were, to dealing with these issues in our own lives, to get us involved in self-examination, to help us to identify right now where we need to stop and repent and recover. 
And so let's consider these questions as they flow here in our text. And the first two questions are found here in verse 16. Notice these questions. The writer says, For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And no doubt the purpose of these first two questions is to help us put aside any doubts as to whether or not you and I, as God's redeemed people, are actually capable of stumbling into unbelief as Israel did back in the wilderness. For it is possible that someone might be thinking this morning, these things that are described here happened to Israel, but they could never happen to me. Because I know the gospel, and I've seen God do some truly amazing things in my life. And so to suggest, Pastor, that I could easily stumble as Israel did is unthinkable. And yet if this is the way that we are thinking today, we need to carefully ponder these two questions here in verse 16. Again, they're intended not just to have us recognize that Israel, the people of God, is being talked about here, but that you and I are being talked about here. Because these questions make it clear that it was God's people. It was not a group of pagan unbelievers who stumbled into unbelief in this chapter. It is not a group of pagan unbelievers who failed to reach that rest that God had prepared. For the writer asked the question, who were those who heard? Think about it. Who were they actually? Who were they? The answer is, they were those who first heard of God's deliverance from God's servant Moses. They were those who heard Moses say in Exodus 14, 13, Fear not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord just before the Lord parted the Red Sea before their very eyes. Those are the people who stumbled. The ones who saw the salvation, the deliverance of God from the armies of Pharaoh, those are the ones. They are the ones who heard that awesome thunder as Moses ascended upon Mount Sinai to receive the law of God. They were the ones who heard Moses as he descended from the mountain and gave them the very words of God. They were the ones who heard everything with their own ears. And yet the text reminds us here in verse 16 that they were the ones that rebelled. One day they see lightning and they hear thunder and the very voice of God. And the next day they're rebelling against that voice. The same people. They refuse to hear and to remain in what they heard. And of course the question for you and I this morning, the pressing question that is not stated but clearly implied is, are we any different? Are we any different? Are we by nature any different than the people in the wilderness were? Are we any less susceptible to rebelling than they were? For think about it this morning. You and I, if we are true believers this morning, have heard the voice of the Spirit. We've heard it speaking to us in the Word of God. In fact, we have heard it from this pulpit. You have heard from this pulpit over the years, over the months, about a deliverance from God that is even greater than the exodus from Egypt because it was a deliverance from the slavery of sin 
by Jesus Christ. You have heard the Word of God preached in your hearing, both the law with all of its thunderings and the gospel with all of its sweetness and grace. And yet it is not impossible that even in hearing these things, some of us here might refuse to listen. It is not impossible that some of us, through the hardening of our own hearts, might fall prey to unbelief. Oh, let us not pretend that it cannot happen. Let us not say that this could never happen to me, for it is only by the grace of God that you and I stand this morning. Only by His grace. Not only this, but let us never say, I have seen or I have personally witnessed too much to stumble into unbelief, or I have gone too far in my spiritual journey ever to turn from the voice of the Holy Spirit. For notice here, the second question in verse 16 of chapter 3, was it not those who left Egypt by Moses? Those who participated in God's great deliverance. For those who left Egypt with Moses had not only heard great things, but they had seen great things. Think about it. In fact, even before they left Egypt, they witnessed God repeatedly torment Egypt with ten terrible plagues. They, they witnessed the death and the sorrow that God brought upon rebellious Egypt while the firstborn of Israel were miraculously spared at that first Passover. Then, once they had been delivered from Pharaoh, they all witnessed one mighty demonstration of God's great power after another. For first, there was the parting of the Red Sea. Then there was the supernatural guidance and provision of God. Then there was the giving of the law. Then there was God's judgment upon those who worshipped the golden calf. And on and on and on and on. God continued to demonstrate His might and His strength and His faithfulness and His provision. They saw it again and again and again. Time after time, God answered their unbelief with a powerful display of His own power. And yet I ask you this morning, the writer asked you this morning in this pressing question, were the people of God any less susceptible to unbelief because of what they saw? Or because of what they experienced in the past? No, they were not. In fact, the things that they had seen and experienced did not insulate them from unbelief at all. Let me just remind us of this truth as well. I don't care what you've experienced in your Christian life. I know you've experienced many good things in the past because God is good. But what you've experienced in the past will not insulate you today will not insulate you in the future. What you've experienced in the past is glorious, and thank God for it. But it's not a guarantee that you will not slip, that you will not drift into unbelief and disobedience today. Nor did it ensure that they would be better prepared to deal with it. For you see, unbelief is a form of, of spiritual insanity. Think about it. It's a form of spiritual insanity. When we're in unbelief, we, we live in denial of what we know to be true. That God is good. And that God will hold us accountable. In the insanity of unbelief, we as God's people easily forget the things that we've seen in the past. 
And we can forget what it was like to sense the powerful presence of God in our own experience of faith. And so therefore, let us not say that it is all well simply because of what we once saw or because of what we once experienced. But let us understand the only way to resist the power of unbelief in our own lives is to hear God's voice in the present. In the present. To hear God's voice as He is speaking now. To listen as He speaks now through the preached Word. And if I'm preaching the Word of God faithfully this morning, and I trust that I am, then God is speaking through it. The voice of the Spirit can be heard through the preached Word and the Word of God explained. For it is the Word preached, it is the Word received by faith that drives away unbelief. For it is not by sight, it is not by what we have seen, it is not by what we have experienced that we stand, but it is by the grace of God moving upon the heart that is quick to hear the heart that is eager to receive the word with true meekness. So these first two questions here in verse 16, if we ponder them with a, with a genuine spirit of self-examination, powerfully remind us that we are no different, we are no different fundamentally, inherently, than Israel was in the wilderness, and that unless we remain receptive, and open to the powerful voice of the Spirit now, now, as He is speaking, it will not matter what we have done in the past. And then not only do these first two questions invite us to recognize our, our sinful similarity to ancient Israel, but the next three questions here in verses 17 to 18 of Hebrews chapter 3 point to the possibility that we too might fall short of that rest which stands as a reward for those who diligently seek God and His Word. For to assume that we shall obtain God's rest without faith, or that we shall obtain God's rest through a lack of obedience is to misunderstand what God called us to be. What has God called us to be? He's called us to be a people of faith. And to think that we can continue in unbelief and not incur the chastisement of God is nothing less than spiritual ignorance. We cannot remain in unbelief and not incur the chastisement of God. And so here in Hebrews 3, verses 17 and 18, the writer of this book poses to us three more questions that are designed again to shake us out of our indifference, to warn us that if we persist in unbelief, we have to suffer a spiritual outcome that may be as difficult as that which Israel faced. And these three questions are these. Hear them carefully. With whom was he provoked 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedience? And clearly our sense of discomfort with these questions might tempt us to conclude that these questions are not directed to us as believers. 
that only those who are pagans and unbelievers suffer by falling short in the wilderness. And yet, if that was the case, if, if these three questions as well are only written to unbelievers, why does the writer of this letter ask these questions here to people who are clearly believers? I want to remind you of what he said in verse 1 of this chapter. Those who are reading these words are partakers of a heavenly calling. They're not pagans. Again, they are God's people. These questions, as difficult as they are to hear, are for us to answer as God's people. And in answering each of these questions, we have to face the possibility that God could withdraw His rest from His own people. Although ultimately, all of those who are saved by grace, who are trusting in His Son, shall be saved. And yet, in the course of our wilderness wanderings on the earth, we should stop and ask ourselves, with whom was He provoked for 40 years? And we must answer, if we want to answer this question honestly, he was provoked by his own people. And I would suggest to you this morning that God can still be provoked today by his own people. Don't read this as Old Testament truth only that doesn't apply to the people of God today. We're in grace, so we, we can never provoke God. We can continue to poke away at him, but he'd just laugh it off. He's, he, he's so gracious. No. That's not the teaching of Scripture. The people of God can provoke God even today. And in making this confession, we should also pause and ask ourselves a more pressing question. Would that include me also? For if it were possible for Israel to provoke God, rather than face her wilderness afflictions in faith, is it not likewise possible that we, who are also forgetful and also ungrateful like Israel, might do the same? And if we sense that we have done so, that we have been provoking God, would this not be the right time to stop? Would this not be the right time to repent and to recover? For not only is it possible to provoke God under grace, but it's also conceivable that we could suffer hardship and even incur great loss under God's own disciplining hand. Very possible. And maybe you're having difficulty thinking along the lines that I'm speaking this morning that God could actually be provoked by His people today, by people in the church, and that God could actually chastise them in ways that would cause them to lose something significant. Read again the letters to the churches in the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3. Read again. Read again. See, it is indeed a possibility. God took from His own people many blessings. He took from them a rest of one nature or another. While the writer of this epistle is not suggesting here to the readers that God's discipline always ends in such a manner, nevertheless, this question should cause us to pause as we paused earlier and to resolve by grace to put away all unbelief. Put away unbelief, believer, before it costs you something that you cannot afford to lose. Before it costs us, as the people of God collectively, something we cannot afford to lose. 
For there are things that we could needlessly lose today by remaining in unbelief. There are things that we could lose today by provoking God in a manner that results in our being disciplined by Him. For our God, our loving Father, disciplines the ones He loves. In fact, that's how we know that He loves us. He disciplines us. If the removal of something dear to us is what it takes for God to draw us back to a place of faith, it is not beyond God's sovereign prerogative to withhold that very thing from us. Do you hear that? It is not beyond God's sovereign prerogative to withhold that very thing from us. That our faith might be restored to its rightful place in our lives. So the people of God can suffer loss. They can forfeit their rest. They can forfeit God's blessings because of provoking God. Because of their continual disobedience. In fact, I'm convinced. Hear me carefully. That this is something that can actually happen to congregations. To congregations who never quite achieve a greater level of usefulness and fruitfulness because of their struggles with unbelief and because of their unresponsiveness to God's Word. There is a kind of rest that we can forfeit as the people of God by allowing unbelief and unresponsiveness to reign. And given what we know about God, we should have no expectation that we as individuals or as a congregation will hold on to anything in this life that does not celebrate His goodness. We will not hold on to anything in this life under God's care that does not leave us in a life of faith and gratitude in response to His grace through Jesus Christ. In fact, this last question here in verse 18 reminds us that God has made His purposes clear through His own sovereign oath that He will not bestow His favor upon the disobedient. He will not bestow His favor upon the disobedient. That still applies today. Because He reserves His blessing in this life and in the life to come to those who obtain them by grace through faith. For we read here in verse 18, For to whom did he swear that they would not enter into his rest, but to those who were disobedient? For God has never kept his purposes in view of faith a secret. Not from those who wandered in the wilderness under the leadership of Moses. Not from those of us today who are led by an even greater one than Moses, the Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, if we would enter into the fullness of God's promised rest, we must do so by faith in Christ alone. There is no other way. No other way. So what is the single most important lesson we should learn from the unbelief of Israel? Well, the writer tells us here in Hebrews 3.19, So we see that they, the nation of Israel, were unable to enter because of unbelief. Notice again the reason. They were not able to enter, not because the obstacles were too great, because God was with them, right? God was going before them. 
Not because they lacked evidence that God was with them, because the evidence that God was with them was all around them, but because they refused to heed to the Spirit. They continually hardened their own hearts. Friends, if we would enjoy God's rest, if we would enjoy the fullness of God's blessings to us individually and even as a congregation, we must obtain it the right way, and that is through an obedient faith supplied by the Spirit focused upon the Lord Jesus Christ. May God grant us such a faith. If it pleases Him to do so today, may we nurture our faith through our willingness to hear, through our willingness to heed the Word as we hear it proclaimed. For if we hear God's Word, let us not harden our hearts. Please, let us hear the Word today. Let us not harden our hearts as God's people did back in the wilderness, as you and I are no doubt tempted and even prone to do today. Let us not do that. But let us heed what the Spirit is saying. Let us not fall short of the fullness of God's blessings for us. Let us go forward in faith. In faith. Believing what we hear from the voice of the Spirit. Trusting that God is leading us for our own good. Trusting Him to provide for us along the way, regardless of what obstacles we face, to lead us faithfully. Let us not harden our hearts as our spiritual fathers did in the wilderness. But may our wilderness journey be marked by faith. By faith, let us Our God and Father, these are heavy words. Practically, read this text in any way today that does not grip us about the seriousness of your word that we're not reading it correctly. If we're reading this text this morning and thinking that's all related to Israel and has nothing to do with us, if we're reading this text saying that these things could never happen to a New Testament congregation, they could only happen to an Old Testament assembly that hardened their hearts then we are dead wrong. We are dead wrong. Yes, the ultimate spiritual lesson here is that there is rest in Jesus Christ through salvation, but there's more here than that. There's truth here to guide us on our journey. There's truth here to lead us through the wilderness, and we cannot go through the wilderness on our own, through the wilderness that you've appointed for us as a congregation, by refusing to listen to your voice. We cannot move forward in this wilderness journey that we're on as a congregation if we do not heed your word. Help us to receive your word with meekness. Help us to believe your promises. Help us to step out on faith, knowing that you reward those who are obedient, knowing that you have a promised rest great blessings for those who heed and obey your word. You are faithful to reward those who live in obedience to you. Help us to see these things today. Help them to be driven home to our thoughts and hearts in such a way that we can't 
ignore them this morning. And if there's somebody here this morning who's outside of faith in Jesus Christ, help them to see their need of the Lord Jesus. Help them to see that just as God does not accept, God does not ignore unbelief in the lives of His people, certainly it's true in the lives of those who have yet to come to faith as well. Unbelief shuts us out of the blessings of God. Unbelief shuts us out of the salvation that is freely offered through Jesus Christ. So please grant anyone who's not a Christian today faith and repentance today that they may believe savingly in Jesus Christ this morning. But Father, help us to hear. Give us ears to hear this morning. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let us begin to